You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Uh, you can you can turn to the book of Luke. I'll get there in a, in a moment here. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, where we can start. Luke 2, 21 again. As you're on your way there, you may be wondering where are we going after Christmas and, and uh, what's our next study. So... Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be going into the book of uh, New Testament, Philippians, the book of Philippians, and looking at that in two weeks. So Brandon speaking next week, come listen to him, and then the following week we'll start, again, Lord willing, in the book of Philippians. I have ordered uh, this year, the ESV Bible makes some, some neat little journals, and Carrie brought attention to this. There, it's, you can basically get the book of Philippians in a journal. One side is scripture, one side is the the blank side, like women, you've been using that in your Bible study, and uh, we'll have those available for you. Um, it's like really cheap, two or three bucks. For, we're just buying them, and if you want to use them, go for it. If you don't have the money, just take one and use it, but it's a way to kind of keep track through the book and your own kind of personal maybe sermon notes or your notes through the week in that, but um, that's coming up, so you can read through that book uh, maybe over the next two weeks and prepare for us to study the book of Philippians this year, and hopefully be a a good study. It will be because it's God's Word, right? It's His Word that does the work, His Spirit that does that. So let's look uh, in the Scripture. We're, we're at Luke 2.21 now. I'm going to read this through verse 38, and we're going to be jumping to a lot of places. And in your bulletin, it says various texts, various New Testament texts. We're, we're looking at this virgin birth of Mary from the Really, we've been looking at uh, the virgin birth and the life of Mary and all the way this week to the cross and beyond I'm going to start by reading this section, and this is, if you're visiting with us, not normally. Normally, we're like through a book of Philippians and just chapter by verse by verse, which to me can have its challenges, but it's easier. But here today, I wanted to just finish out kind of Mary's life and and look at it. Where do we see pictures of her kind of throughout? And so we're going to go on a journey through Scripture to do that. And the first place is this Luke 2, and I'll start in 21 here. We read Christmas Eve night about Mary treasuring up these things that the shepherds said and pondering them in her heart, contemplating Jesus again. And so let me start at Luke 2.21, and then I'll just read through, through 38 here. Listen to God's word. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that before us is your word, that we have copies of this in our hands to, again, read and meditate and think on. Father, I just pray the the warning kind of as we got into this study on Mary was to not exalt Mary any higher, Lord, than than any saint who comes to Christ. We don't want to be found here exalting Mary in a way that that worships her at all. Father, it's her son. It's, It's Jesus, your son whom Simeon saw, salvation was before him. So, Lord Jesus, may you be exalted. May we end worshiping you. May we learn from Mary's life here today what it is we can glean, principles we can take away. Father, I pray that these things will lead us, as, as I believe Mary was led, to magnify again your name. And so we pray this. We pray your Holy Spirit, guard us from worship of man that we might worship the Holy God, you, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, we've been looking at the, the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that Mary. There are many in scriptures. As you look, um, even at the cross, I think there's, I saw there's three Marys listed even at the cross. There's a lot of them, but this Mary, this mother of Jesus, we've been looking at through Advent and her response to Yahweh. We've seen her her questions, you know, how can this be, that sort of thing, but, but underlying a sense of, of belief and then worship and at Christmas Eve treasuring. Um, just, I got to throw in a, just a side note here, a um, little bit of lightheartedness. I was with my parents this week and we were talking, I was sharing to them, the one sermon I preached uh, um, where Mary laid up these words in her, uh, let it be to me according to your word. And, and one of the intros was talking about a, a truck that I got when I was young, and a, this, this Tonka yellow truck. And we were talking about our expectations, kids of getting gifts and that sort of thing. And uh, I said, yeah, Mom and Dad, I shared this in one of the sermons, you know, about this yellow truck. Do you remember when I was, you know, in the bathroom crying because I didn't want that truck? And um, I think my mom remembered, but my dad said, well, you know, when I was young, so this is, this is passed down in the lineage. He got a dump truck that he didn't like. And uh, the reason he didn't like it is because it had steel wheels on it. And he, he said, what are you going to do with steel wheels on a dump truck? And so, so anyway, I thought just in the course of this, I thought, here it is. Dad, my dad suffered the same issues I had. And uh, we're getting beyond our expectations. But anyway, so we've looked at these things. Our expectations and Mary saying... Let it be to me according to your word, her faith, trust, and then her worship, Christmas Eve, treasuring, pondering these things in her heart, remembering. So it seems fitting here 
to just take one more Sunday just to examine, again, kind of the, the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Look at her responses as we go through Scripture. Uh, we're not going to cover every single instance of where we see Mary, or mother, uh, listed. I'm trying to, to pull out the ones where we see some interaction. Somebody's saying something to her. Uh, she's responding, this sort of thing, some sort of interaction going on. And we're going to soon find, I think, that the magnifying of the Lord by her soul, we looked at that, my soul magnifies the Lord, it's going to be challenged. And there's some soul-distressing type words and events going to show up in her life. As we're talking about 2019 and 2020, you might look back on your year or look ahead and say, I've had a soul-distressing year or month. And, and we're not even closing out just 2019. We're kind of closing out a decade. Maybe you look back in the decade and say, whoa. Depending on what you're thinking about, various ups, downs, turns, trials, twists, canyons, mountaintops, all throughout that take place, sometimes within, an, within the scope of one hour itself, sometimes within a year or years. And I know for many here, many of us, we end 2019 with certain questions, there's, and there's a heaviness to life. Perhaps there's health concerns, and all that's going on are relational concerns, think if I asked each one of you, do, do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe He's sovereign? He's in control? I think your answer would agree, yes, He's faithful. Yeah, yes, He's in control. We believe that. But that belief is challenged as we face our own flesh that wars against our soul. We're made new in Christ, but until we're transformed into glory, we wrestle with that former self. So that's challenging. We face a world marred by sin, sinners around us. Sinners, yes, here in the church, were hounded by the accuser, the deceiver, Satan. So as I thought about what to do with that kind of in mind and what we do with the rest of Mary's life, there's an image that makes sense to me. It's really not anything um, hugely spectacular, but Caleb's going to put it up here. This image just comes to my mind as we look at Mary's life and perhaps your own life. And I drew this this week, so this is my, my pick of the week here drawing. But anyway, uh, the blue line is Mary's life. If you could kind of, almost just relates to our life. We've got days, hours, weeks, years, up, down. We're steady here. We're going, what's going on here? That sort of thing. And we're going to look at these. I kind of numbered them. Kind of look at some of these, these five areas here, I think, where we see Mary kind of up and down as any disciple in the Lord is. Um, And yet we also see a straight line through there, Jesus' life. I want to get a picture here, and at least in my mind, it kind of looks like that, of the certainty. And and we're saying not that his life was, was boring. It was steady. It was certain. Jesus came in the fulfillment of time. There's a certainty to Mary's child that she bore, even though Mary's life shows un certainty. I want our eyes, my eyes, your eyes to be fixed on the line of Jesus, his certainty, this rock, this, this stone, this rock we can hold on to and not stumble over, but hold on to for our own souls to be steady on the Savior. Thank you, Caleb, for showing that. So as we talked about, we're going to look at five stops, kind of five places. So we'll, we'll be somewhat in Luke, some in, 
in, in uh, John, Acts as well. And the first one, first kind of stop along the way is what we've already read here in Luke 2, uh, 22 really through 38. And what we've seen, Joseph and Mary here in this first stop, they've taken Jesus to the temple. Two reasons. Mary's childbirth brought about the need for purification. And there's also a need to pay the, the redemption of the firstborn. And we're not really getting into the details of all that. Um, but I think verse 27 just kind of sums up here. If you look at verse 27, what Jesus' parents were doing. They were doing, they brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. They're going to follow the law. This is the custom. You take them here. You do this. They're following that. And in the midst of that, here a man named Simeon comes up. Scripture tells us here he's been waiting for the consolation or you might say comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit's upon him. And we're used to this now because the Holy Spirit came, was through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is conceived. Through the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth speaks to Mary. And now here the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon working through this uh, to now say this. And so, so Simeon takes the Lord in his arms. Isn't that a neat pit? Just Luke adds that in there. He took him up in his arms. I mean, imagine that. I'm going to read what Simeon says again, but imagine holding the Christ child in your arms and thinking about these words of Simeon here. And he, and he first, instead of speaking to the parents, he blesses God. And he says this, verse 29, Lord, <clears throat> now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That neat? Just right there. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Here in his arms, here's salvation. Here's God's plan of redemption. This light to the Gentiles, glory for the people of Israel. Jesus comes through that people and his father and mother marvel at what's said here. But Simeon goes on and he blesses them and he, and he goes on to say this to Mary. And we might look and go, what kind of blessing is this? But here's what he says in verse 34 there. You see him saying to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that Thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I think Simeon's words here, excuse me, they echo Mary's praise hymn that we looked at last week. It feels like longer ago, but last week we looked at that. Some in Israel would fall, and I think in Mary's words, God would bring down the mighty from their thrones, and some would rise. Mary's words again from her, her song, her hymn, that God would exalt those of humble estate. Paul speaks of, I think, a similar idea. Romans 9.33 says, As it is written, bring up Isaiah 28, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So to those who disbelieve, to those who disobey the word, Jesus, stone of stumbling. To those who believe and obey the word, a cornerstone, the living stone, as Peter calls Jesus. But imagine hearing these words as Mary. It says Simeon blessed him. And again, I'm not sure if Mary sees, is this a blessing? A sword? 
You might say um, sword here, maybe another word, pain or sorrow, would pierce through Mary's soul. You get the sword brings the picture of it, this sorrow, pain, piercing through uh, her soul. So Mary, in her role, though, here as mother, nurturer of Jesus, again, till his ministry, she is part of God's orchestrated plan for eternity. That's, that's her child, this child of you. He's appointed for this and that. It's part of God's plan. But part of that plan of God's blessing involved a pain-pierced soul. And there's a principle here as we kind of look at Mary's life, her responses, what's going on. And I think God's certain plans, his certain plans involve pain-pierced hearts. There's, for Mary, there's that glory of the angel's announcement. Elizabeth blessing Mary. Blessed is a fruity womb. That idea. Her song of worship. Kind of this, this high moment, mountaintop, but then leading into great pain as the road for her son would involve opposition and ultimately death. So times like these for Mary, times like these for us, they require faith in God's perfect purposes and ways, not ours. I don't know if that was Mary's plan. This is how I want life to go for my son. But God was orchestrating his perfect plan. Well, we read a bit further even here in Luke 2, and we find Mary moving on. Instead of encountering peace, finding herself in greater distress. I'm going to kind of sum up, and then we're going to look through this next section. As you get kind of through 39, but into verse 41. And we find here that at the age of 12 now, we're skipping years, Jesus is accompanying his parents to Jerusalem for that annual feast of the Passover. And you might remember when it's over, they go home and Jesus stays. He stays behind in Jerusalem. And his parents, for whatever reason, and maybe this gives you comfort if you've left your kid somewhere in your life, they leave him about a day's journey out till they notice that he's missing. And they head back into town. And I believe then it's three days later till they find him. So I'm doing the math. I'm thinking there's four days without your 12-year-old. And maybe the 12-year-old a little more responsible at that time. But still, four days without your son. They're looking. If you come to verse 48, you can almost hear the mom in Mary come out as they find Jesus. They found him eventually. And verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That sounds like a mom answer, right? And we've been stressed about this, both your father and I. To note here, this is the first, I think, the first interaction, biblically speaking. I'm sure Mary's talked to her son before this time. But biblically, the first interaction we have between Mary, mother of Jesus here, and Jesus himself, this interaction. And her words, we're worried about you. Why have you done this to us? And Jesus, as he would do so often as we know him to do, replies with a question in verse 49. You're still in Luke 2, 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
And Luke goes on to tell us they didn't understand the saying of what he spoke to them. And yet Jesus, he's submissive to them, and he does go back to Nazareth. And, his, and again, we see his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And I think here in this instance, this interaction, as we look at these throughout, we begin to see the shift of the son from, from Mary's son, Joseph's son, to who Jesus really is. He's the son of God, his identity. And in some ways, this shouldn't surprise Mary. I mean, didn't the angel, remember, she, the angel told her the son would be called son of the most high. I tend to think Mary knew, even though we know she says here she didn't understand, I think she knew more than we give her credit for. I know there's that popular song. Um, I don't want to step on toes here, so just take it with a grain of salt. Mary, did you know? And you've probably heard it a couple times during the Christmas. It might be one of your favorites, so, so don't come after me. But, but part of me wants to say, I think she knew. I think she knew more than what the song kind of implies but there's times like we see here they didn't understand but i mean she she has a song of worship and she knew um that's just a side note you can you can hit me when we're done okay uh but anyway so i but here we see there's some there's some lack of understanding but regardless of mary's distress do you see where jesus is he is not worried about where he needs to be He's not distressed. That line of certainty is Jesus. Mary's just, where are you? We lost you. Jesus, he essentially says, I'm right where I need to be. I'm in my father's house. This is is where I'm at. It's a principle here. Jesus is the certain one. He's the steady line. Amidst the distress of Mary, Jesus knows where he must be. He's certain. What a great anchor for our souls. Well, the gulf, one author coined it, the gulf between Mary and Jesus kind of grows as we zoom in. I'm going to kind of cover two interactions of Mary, similar interactions with her son Jesus. Now, fast forward some 18 years later that we're going to see. So we're going to look at two, two places really um, kind of looking at this, this idea of telling Jesus something to do or submitting to Jesus. Two separate areas. If you want to go uh, to John 2, you can look there, and then I'll just briefly mention the other place. But head to the book of John chapter 2, verse 1. <coughs> John 2, 1. Familiar place here. Jesus' first... First miracle, first place at this wedding in, in Cana. Jesus and his, his mother and disciples, they've been invited to this place. John 2, we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to look at parts of it. But at, the, at this wedding, they run out of the wine, and so Jesus' mother approaches him. And we know the rest of the story. The rest, Jesus turns those six jars of water into wine, not just like halfway. It's good, the good stuff. We see his disciples believing in him. But I want to look at this interaction just with his mom. Okay, in verses 3 through 5. So let me read that, John 2, uh, 3, starting at 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. 
Mary, for whatever reason, she presents this problem to Jesus. There's no more wine. Perhaps it's because Jesus is the oldest son. Maybe he's been kind of caring for it. We don't hear about Joseph, so there's an assumption Joseph is, is gone or has died. And so perhaps she's looking at Jesus, the oldest son. They don't have any wine. Do something. And I don't know if she knew miracles, you can do something. Just, if anything, do something, Jesus, is her plea to him. And Jesus replies, what does this have to do with me? It's not yet my hour. And I've, I've read here, again, this reply can seem kind of disrespectful, you know, like, like woman. And, and I don't think it means maybe the, in that context the, the disrespect of you know, today if we say woman, that sort of idea. There, there's a respectfulness to this. He, now, he doesn't call her mother. So one commentary calls it an expression of polite distance. So get that. He's not saying woman like putting her down. He's just saying woman. He's not saying mother. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. And Mary's response, just, we get, it's just a one line of response. Her mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I think it's subtle here, but we see something in Mary's reaction that she, as Jesus' mother, she cannot tell Jesus, the Son of God, what he needs to do. Maybe she could when he was growing up. Jesus, go get me that. Yes, and submissive and obeying. It's like growing in stature, wisdom, all those sorts of things. But here we see here, what do we do? Do something, but this change, she she can no longer tell him. She can't tell him what to do. She must submit here to his will with those words, do whatever he tells you. And I'm, I'm gleaning from that. If he doesn't want to do something, then, then don't do that. Or if he does, do that. Do what he tells you. Kind of this, this submission. Now, I said there's another section, another passage. We see this. You don't have to go there. But similar idea in Mark 3 that we looked at when we were going through Mark of Jesus performing many miracles, crowds surrounding him, and his, his family deemed Jesus to be out of his mind. And they, in fact, they come to him. His mothers and brothers come to visit Jesus, and they ask to see him. They're outside, and they say, hey, get Jesus. We'd like to speak to him. And so the, the messenger comes into where Jesus is with the people, not with his family, with his people. messenger comes in. They're asking to see you. And what's his answer? Do you remember that? Mark three thirty four. Through 35 tells us, looking around at those who sat around him, Jesus says this. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, one writer, he's written a book on the the women of the Bible, and one of them is Mary, Herbert Locker. He comments and says this. Here, Jesus, he hinted that the blessedness of Mary consisted not in being his mother, but in believing in him and in his God-given mission and in obedience to his words. Mary, as well as us, need to be reminded of who Jesus is. We can try and tell him what he needs to do. We're looking at that situation, this distress. Jesus, I think this would be the right thing. This is what you should do. Or we need more wine. Come outside. Do the, you know, answer this prayer. But true brothers, sisters, mothers of Jesus are those who hear his word. It'll say it elsewhere, another kind of parallel passage, who hear his word and obey it. Those who submit to his rule 
rather than tell him what he should do. So this idea of God's plan, his perfect plan, and this idea of submitting to his plan, submitting to his rule. And there's this kind of this change taking place, right? Mary, the mother that have brought and nurtured Jesus up, and then submitting what, whatever he says to do. <clears throat> Again, this uh, Herbert Locke here, he has words to help us think about Mary's relationship to Jesus here. He says, so the distance between Mary and her son widens. This is what's helpful. He brings it back to Simeon. He says, the piercings of the sword, which old Simeon had prophesied, were keenly felt. Those piercings, I'm no longer, this is a change from from babe, son, to my Lord. Uh, Well, eventually the climax of a pierced soul is going to come as Mary witnessed her own son on the cross. And that's what we find in John 19. So if you're in John, head head then to John 19. John chapter 19, uh, verse 25 is what we'll kind of specifically look at. And here we find Jesus being nailed to a cross context crucified two others are there one on either side of him that is that inscription above him mary would have known boy did this bring back maybe memories jesus of nazareth the king of the jews and verse 25 tells us then who's there we can look at the other accounts and see all these marys but this is most helpful to say was his mom there yes she was verse 25 says this but standing by the cross of jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. It's a popular name, Mary. But this is his mom, is here. This one who had heard the angel declare, this will be the son of the Most High. His kingdom's going to have no end. That was the announcement of the angel. Think about how hard it is, perhaps, for Mary to look on the cross and to imagine this king that would rule forever, Perhaps this is not going how Mary envisioned it would go, this piercing. It's hard for anyone, I think, without scriptures telling us to envision this is how God would save sinners by sending his son to die. But nonetheless, Mary is present. She's there. And then listen to this. Here's Jesus bearing the weight of sin on the cross. He looks down in verse 26. He sees his mother and he says this. I mean, the setting is Jesus in agony. And he looks down and he says this. I'll read 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus is in the greatest agony and pain, and he looks at Mary, and in an act of loving care, in the midst of soul-piercing pain, says, here's your son, and to John, Apostle John, John, care for her. This is your mother. Jesus cares for his own. He cares in the midst of this loss. And his greatest care, even here, 
was not just even these words, but what he was doing, what he was nailed to the cross for, to bear our sins upon himself. So for us, it's a question of belief. Do you believe this same Jesus who cared for Mary, who cares so much so to die for your sins, will also care for you daily? Peter calls us to cast all your anxiety on him because he he cares for you. Glory to God for his care. This is Jesus caring in the midst of the agony of the cross and going to the cross, caring for his own that his own might know him. So we see some principles kind of throughout Mary's life here. God's certain plans involve pain-pierced hearts. We see Jesus. Jesus knows right where he needs to be. He's steady and certain in the midst of distress. And that we, instead of telling Jesus, here's what to do, here's what we think is best, we find this submission to his will and obedience. Do what he tells you to do. And then here we see Jesus' love and his care in the midst of Mary's suffering. But this is not the last time we see Mary. And I I think an argument can be made that she witnessed his burial and she witnessed his resurrection. But I want to go to just one last glance that Luke gives us of Mary, and it's actually in his second book called Acts. We get one more kind of parting glance at Mary. It's small, but it's there. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12. So just keep paging through to the right to Acts 1, 12. Kind of this one last glance. Acts 1, 12. The disciples here, they've just witnessed Jesus his ascension to heaven. He was lifted up in the cloud. His last words were forward-looking, but you will receive to his disciples. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so these disciples, having seen Jesus depart, they return to Jerusalem, and we find a prayer meeting going on, and guess who's there? This is what we find in Acts 1. 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. A couple of commentators, one, Robertson, A.T. Robertson, observes this. He says, a delicate touch by Luke here, this mention of Mary, that shows Mary with her crown of glory at last. She had come out of the shadow of death with the song in her heart, and with the realization of the angel's promise and the prophecy of Simeon. It was a blessed time for Mary. And then one more quote from this Herbert Lockyer on her life. He says, Mary was present in that upper room, not as an object of worship. Okay, so nobody's there worshiping Mary. She's there not as an object of worship, not as the directress of the infant church, but as a humble suppliant, along with the rest, including her sons, who by this time were believers. So the last mention of Mary is a happy one, he says. 
This is Mary. Mary whose soul has been pierced, who lived in that, that world of being the mother to Jesus and also his servant, is found communing with God and seeking him in devoted prayer. That's where we find the last glimpse of Mary is praying, communing with the Lord her God. Pain-pierced souls must lean on the steady Savior. Pain-pierced souls must lean on the steady Savior. We must trust God's plan. As we look back, 2019, we look forward. We trust God. Your plan is in place. The question for us, do you believe today Jesus is right where he needs to be? That, that God's plan is right on track according to his divine will. It may not look that way at all, but is it? Do you believe it's on track? That his blood shed on the cross, it's sufficient to cover and pay for any transgression we find ourselves convicted of before him. You believe we in Christ, we've been declared righteous, justified, clothed in the righteousness, not of ourselves, but of Christ. You believe these things. If so, then believing, may we submit to God in prayer. Say, Lord, have your way in my life. Maybe even better, echo those words of Mary that we've looked at before for this next year, that we can look at 2020 and whatever pitfalls we even see coming, that we could say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The idea of submission. Or what you have is good because you're good. I trust your plan. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these glimpses. I think maybe even in some ways more than most that we get to see at least Mary's life here. And not all of it is just this blessed kind of coasting and joy. There's trial in her life. There's questions. There's... There's being on the outside and wanting to speak to her son and it doesn't happen. And she says everybody's his mother. And, and yet, Lord, we see her in the end praying, communing with you, dependent on you. So, Father, I pray, as, as Dave even mentioned this morning, that, that we would commune with you through prayer in your word this year. Lord, we'd not do it as a, just a duty or a check mark or to cross something off. Father, that we would hunger and thirst for you, for in you is life. So guide us to have that sort of hunger and thirst, a a Holy Spirit-driven hunger and thirst for the things of you, and then a prayerful dependence that, Lord, we don't trust in our own will, in our own ideas, in what we think you should do, but by prayer we come and believe and trust and say, Lord, send your Spirit, guide us, lead us, So, Lord, grow us in dependence. And, Lord, if that takes piercing our souls with trials, that we would see you. And like Job, who had heard of you, now he sees you. To glory in you, Lord, through trial, pray that we would see you that much more this year. And we ask this in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.